With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rocket Nation Podcast. This is an episode of Dive Cuts. We're into Season 3, Episode 15, in the midst of the 2019-2020 Missouri basketball season. Our Fair Tigers are 1-5 and five in SEC play. Um, with me, as always, is, uh, is a man who is pleading his case for Bob Huggins to take it easy on the Missouri Tigers this weekend. Uh, mainly because the Tigers are coming up on the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge, and West Virginia is very good. Uh, they're top 10 in Kempom. Pretty good defense. Monster bodies inside. Uh, playing pretty well this year. Um, and yeah, Missouri is a little bit on a downslope. So Matt, uh, what are we going to do about this, uh, this, this losing streak that Missouri Tigers are on? Uh... Tune in and hope for just a massive systematic breakdown in West Virginia. A Florida-like shooting night? Yeah, you can hope for that, too. I um, feel like that that, that outlier has already happened. So, you know, brute for both of West Virginia's big men to contract the Wuhan virus, I guess, and be sidelined. I mean, it's going to... Something fundamental is going to have to happen to, uh, I think, change the outcome on Saturday. Well, so some of the things that we've uh, we've talked about 
offline, I kind of want to talk a little bit here, and mainly that's like the perception of Missouri basketball and how, you know, a few bad breaks. Because, you know, I'm not the uh, Mizzou is cursed guy. Like, I'm really not that guy. Neither um, but I, I do feel that right now the program sort of just has this uh, not aura, or isn't really the right word, but but there's just sort of like a like everyone's always kind of expecting, and I don't even know if this is like through the players, but I just sort of sense it, even in the good moments with uh, you know that we've seen this year. There's always like this feeling that that something is going to go wrong, and you know, look, I've been a Missouri basketball fan for a lot of years. I've I've seen. Uh, good years and bad years and some years things go well and other years they don't um but man like i really feel like there just needs to be like some kind of breath of fresh air uh just some kind of break that they get because uh and i, I don't mean the kind of uh stress fracture that is in jeremiah tillman's foot um because it, it just seems like if they would just catch a break that that what I felt before the season, I think what a lot of us felt, you know, and, and I, I realized that we, you know, I think what, what were the, we had the Missouri fifth or sixth we had the in sixth. preseason SEC. Um, I, you know, I felt, I feel like that team that we sort of, we were talking about is still there in what we're watching. Um, but they just, Nothing seems to go right for them. They don't make that one shot when they need it when they need to be made. They don't they don't get that key stop when they when they need it. It's just like all the little things have just sort of added up to create what is uh, turned into uh, a pretty disappointing season um, and one that I I just don't think they're that far off uh, from from you know maybe being. Um, you know, like twelve and six, which I mean, twelve and six is a whole lot better than nine and nine. Um, but I really don't feel like they're that far away from being that team. And yet, you know, like the the feeling and the mood around, um, you know, I try to avoid a lot of the negativity on Twitter just because I, I I don't like for it to affect the way I view things and how I look at the team analytically. Um, but I feel like it, you know, just three simple wins. If they, you know, found a way against Charleston Southern, if they found a way against, uh, you know, Tennessee and, and Texas A&M or, or Xavier, um, you know, and, and Texas A&M, even if they were had those two extra wins and they were still like, you know, two and four, uh, the the mood would be a lot different. Yeah, I mean, it's really if you think about it, it's you know a made free throw or another made three ball against Texas A&M and then not, you know, potentially having a messed up ball screen against Xavier. And you could flip those two into the win column and suddenly you're 11 and seven, you're two and four in the SEC. You're not happy about being two and four, but you kind of accept that as kind of the price of doing business without Jeremiah Tillman in the lineup. But you'd have some quality wins and you'd just be, you know, gritting your teeth, hoping to get through Saturday and, you know, a stretch of games against Georgia, South Carolina, and A&M where maybe if you bring Tillman back, you could work him in. And, you know, maybe you're not 
on the NCAA tournament, but we'll put your tracking towards a postseason bid. And, you know, it's it's not the best case scenario you hope for in the preseason, but, you know, it's it's well within the range of outcomes that, that were feasible for this team or that, you know, you could at least, you know, understandably see happening, you know, at the end of the year. And it just hasn't transpired that way. Um, and I think it's, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, when you when you watch, you know, what Missouri does on the floor, you can kind of see the template for what this team is. And I always think, and I've, it's probably because I've been going back through and just looking at this data, is probably a good corollary for what they are in terms of pace and in terms of kind of the offense and the structures is Villanova. And Zoe mentioned that a couple of years ago is kind of a good template for this team, but, you know, you know, possession length wise, they're similar shot composition wise. They're similar. You can kind of see what Missouri's trying to do with its, its stretch four position is kind of what Nova did with guys like Pascal and stuff like that. So you can kind of see the rubric they're working with. It's, just that they, the implementation of that has not gone the way that I think anyone could have foreseen. And, you know, it's not all bad luck. You know, there are, you know, decisions that can be, you know, critiqued along the way. And, you know, we can honestly have some assessments of, you know, how players have developed and in terms of whether there have been some adaptations or some tweaks along the way that could have offset some of this. But I think in general you can kind of see you know, what the blueprint looks like. And I don't think it's a bad one necessarily. You know, I, I would prefer to see them play a little bit faster earlier in possessions. But overall, you know, they're running modern offense. You know, they, they're they sound in terms of their defensive game plans. I think they've got some guys, you know, I think you sort of said that, you know, on most teams would be good guys who are filling out spots three through 10 on the rotation. You know, I think they've got, those types of players, it's just been, you know, the sophomores are clearly not, you know, where I think a lot of people expected them to be. Um, Mark Smith is a little bit flakier than I think he was a year ago. Not flakier, but I think a little bit more streaky than he was last season. And Jeremiah Tillman's hurt. So it's it's just not come together kind of in the way that I think a lot of people kind of thought it might when the season started yeah i think i think it's kind of important like you know we before the season talked a lot about the the sort of soft middle and there are a lot of compelling reasons why uh missouri should have been more in the upper half of that soft middle uh and now we've kind of seen them fall back but they've also they've only really you know played one team uh you know maybe two uh if you I guess Mississippi State and, and, and Tennessee, I probably would have lumped into that soft middle. I, I think Alabama is sort of, they've kind of turned into the team that I think we expected, yeah. even though it, it took them a little longer. Um, but, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to sort of watch this team kind of down the stretch, just to, you know, once they get Jeremiah Tillman back. Because, you know, I really think that, you know, I know a lot of people were disappointed with some of, you know, Tillman's uh, play, uh, you know, kind of through the the rough stretch that they had, um, you know, I guess when they kind of struggled with Moorhead uh, and then lost badly to Butler in Oklahoma and, and lost to Charleston Southern. And, 
Um, you know, and Tillman just wasn't quite providing what I think a lot of people thought he would. But I still think if you have a healthy Jeremiah Tillman, you beat Texas A&M. Um, if you have a healthy Jeremiah Tillman, you can probably beat Tennessee. Uh, you know, and that, like th- those are both games that within the last five minutes were single possession games uh, or down the stretch or whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and just having a, a key guy like that available, I think, makes a big difference. The The one thing I still think is holding Missouri back uh, is just a reliable wing who who can who can score the ball, uh, who can take the ball off the dribble and, and attack the rim. Um, I think it's clear at this point that, that Javon Pickett is not that guy. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Torrance Watson is not that guy. Um, and it looks like Mark Smith is not that guy either. So, you know, like I think ideally like what you get from Missouri kind of going forward is, is the blueprint is there and, and you're right is I love Drew Smith and what he brings. Uh, I think Jeremiah Tillman when he's playing well is, is exactly the kind of, you know, guy in the middle that you want a guy who can protect the rim and, and rebound and uh, a guy who can, you know, change the dimensions on the floor, but they're getting like nothing from their wings. And, if Mark Smith isn't making three-point shots, like he's not helping produce offense, and uh, and we also like we know that that's the case with um, with Torrance Watson, and then like with Pickett, like Pickett, if like he's had some good games, um, and when he plays well, like he tends to kind of lift the Missouri offense, but you just look at him, you know, when he struggles, and he really struggles against you know, teams with, with plus athleticism uh, and, and teams that uh, can really make things difficult on him around the basket. Um, guys, you know, because he's not, even though he's got pretty good size at like 6'4", he's not real long. Um, he doesn't have like, you know, great length the way that, you know, somebody like like a Scotty Lewis or somebody like that does, uh, you know, a Petty, um, even a Kara Lewis. So, I don't know, like I... I, I see that they're close, but they're, I feel like they're just they're really just missing some sort of competitiveness, some sort of wing score. And, you know, like Josh Christopher, I, ideally, is kind of a guy that, that they that could step in and help immediately. Uh, otherwise, they just need to find somebody they can really develop into that role. And, I mean, those guys exist. Like, you are able to recruit guys that are under under-ranked and and that do develop in that role. Missouri just hasn't inert them. Yeah, and I think the thing that we've talked about is, you know, Torrance Watson came in with a pretty good pedigree as a scorer, and, you know, in high school, he was a guy that was, you know, billed as a slasher and a guy who could kind of get to the mid-range and kind of make some things happen. But as I think you and I talked about after he committed and even kind of in the run to his freshman year, he was doing that at a level where, he was sometimes as big as some centers on the floor for Whitfield. Like he was just, his physical profile was completely different than a lot of other guys that he may have been seeing, you know, on the floor with him. And, you know, we thought, you know, his jumper was going to be a good platform for him to flesh out a role as a freshman. Like, okay, this guy can, has great looking mechanics. You know, if he can get in the gym, develop a steady jumper, if he can be a spot-up guy as a freshman, he can kind of carve out that niche, you know, knock in some jumpers, get acclimated on the defensive end, 
And then by the time he's a sophomore, you might see, you know, that ability to kind of play off the bounce and that ability to kind of get to the rim come into play for him. I think that's what we were optimistic about going out of the last 10 games last year. It was like, okay, the jumper's there. And then over the summer, you know, okay, the physical gains are there. So now maybe he can use this jumper as a, you know, jumping off point to, to become a little bit more diverse in the shot selection. And that just hasn't transpired. You know, he's still a guy now who's, you know, running down the floor, racing ahead to that right corner and just kind of spotting up there. And outside of that, there's just not a lot happening. And so it's really, I think, been sobering to kind of watch how he's just kind of stagnated into that role a little bit. And, you know, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or if it's a scheme thing, but he's he's not kind of, I think, growing into the player we thought he could be in that on the wing for them. Because if he's doing that, then you're fine with Mark Smith being kind of your spot-up option in the slot and the kick-out guy. But right now you can't have both of those guys doing that because then nobody's putting pressure on the rim at all. So it's it sort of feels like they're stuck right now. You know, and I don't know if Torrance, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that Torrance becomes that guy in the next 13 games. And I think it's unlikely that Mark Smith becomes that guy. So who's going to, you know, be the guy that they can get the ball to in a, a possession and go create? They've kind of used Xavier Pinson for that, but Pinson's even kind of run into trouble now, you know, against bigger, longer guys around the rim. So it feels like th- there's just not a guy who you can sort of just eat your way through at this point. So uh, one thing that we didn't really address last week, and I got called out uh, on it by an emailer, um, is we didn't really talk about Mario McKinney leaving. Uh, and I don't want to say like, like I think last week it was more, um, we did, I think we just kind of got really into the Mizzou talk, <laughs> like the basketball talk and, uh, and actually, you know, kind of doing what we do, which is kind of get wonky about Mizzou basketball, uh, and kind of forgot about Mario McKinney and and the the whole roster construction. And honestly, like, I really enjoy the roster construction part of it. So, like, it's not that it's not wonky. I think we were just, you know, we we kind of got away from it last week. So we're going to talk about it now, and I think it's a good kind of time to pivot because we've been talking about what Missouri needs. Uh, and what Missouri really needs is somebody on the wing who can score. Um, so McKinney leaves. Uh, he opens up a, a scholarship. I think we kind of expected probably one more scholarship to open up uh, regardless. I just don't think, particularly with, with the way that the season was going, like Missouri was on its on the path towards winning 20 games. Yeah, maybe you get everybody to kind of stick around. Um but seeing as how they're they're trending more towards like I don't know 15 16 wins um I think that at that point you're probably going to see at least one defection uh and now I would say maybe one more uh so with that said uh the only like there, there aren't a whole lot of names out there as far as like who Mizzou is pursuing and and what they're kind of trying to to, to get at uh, one guy that's sort of surfaced lately is a guy that we both like, um, who is going to play with uh, Brad Beal Elite uh, this last off season before he um, he tore his ACL, right? Um, and it happened very early in the spring, uh, and 
and he's just now kind of back and and playing and 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 uh, contributing for his, his high school team. And that's Donovan Williams. Uh, he's sort of a, a mid four star kid, uh, depending on the rankings. He's probably anywhere from, I think, just inside one hundred uh, to you know maybe one ten or so. Uh, but kind of in that in that range, I think, is uh, is pretty fair. But a guy that uh, shoots the ball well, uh, has good athleticism, um, and we know now uh, through reports that that Missouri's uh, head coach Collins Martin has reached out. Matt, do you have uh, any thoughts on Donovan Williams and and his potential to fill uh, a, a scholarship for Missouri? Uh, he was going to play alongside Cam Ron Fletcher. Uh... Brad Bielethan got hurt. Um, three low and score. McDonald's All-American Caleb Love. Yes, yes. Uh, congrats to Caleb on uh, the <laughs> Mickey D's on becoming a burger boy and uh, become and getting that status today. Um, you know, Williams is a guy who is projected as kind of a four-year Power Five starter. Um, scores at three levels. Uh, I wouldn't say he's. I'd say he's athletic, but he's not like jump out the gym freaky athletic, but he can get elevation, can take contact, strong around the rim, can make some plays there. Uh, good good feel. Uh, he can pass a little bit with either hand. So I think he's just kind of a good all-around guard. And if you're really buying into the idea that Missouri doesn't label guards, which you know, we can have a debate about that, but um, I think he's just a good fit. You know, Good jumper, ability to play off the bounce, can pass it a little bit. Um, you know, has had, you know, some, you know, he's not a guy who's kind of emerging in his senior year and just picking up some high major interest. It's been there for a while. He was just a long time Nebraska commit and just reopened it up during the regular season. So I think it's kind of a situation where, um, timing just works out now. Uh, he was offered tonight by Oklahoma state. Um, Texas has been in on him a little bit, Kansas state. Uh, he took an unofficial visit there, I think, last weekend. So, a lot of regional teams coming in. Um, you know, I think it would be really, really uh, ideal for Missouri to try and you know make a push there. Uh, Ole Miss has uh, shown some interest in him, so it'll just be interesting to see how advanced that gets, especially if you know you do think that Josh Christopher is still out there for you, and you know his. You know, father has told various recruiting outlets that they still intend to take an official visit to Missouri. Um, you know, I think, you know, you kick the tires, though, on Donovan Williams. I think, you know, obviously folks are going to see Josh Christopher as the no-brainer and you stay in that till the end. But I, I, I like Williams. I think he's a guy who, you know, gives them what they can really use next year, which is a guy who does have the ability to play off the bounce, has done that. You know, against good quality competition out on the grassroots circuit, and you know, I think I think he's just a really good fit for what this offense needs. Yeah, and I think um, I, I think you're at the point with with Christopher where you you build the class that you want, and then you react if you're able to reel that one in. Like I, this isn't anything where you know they're looking at Williams as a backup to Christopher. Like if, if they really want Williams, they'll, they'll go out and they'll take Williams and Christopher. Like that's kind of how this works with, uh, with those room more like elite level guys. You can always make room for those guys. Right. And you know, that, that's just kind of how it is. The roster math 
is fungible for those kinds of guys. Well, and one thing that I am, um, I think both of us to a degree are intrigued by was uh, Sharif O'Neal transferring, who is actually a good friend of Josh Christopher. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we thought UCLA was going to remain in strong contention, um, you know, was because of the relationship that he had with, you know, several players, but he is especially close, uh, with Sharif O'Neal. I think they've, they've grown up together, uh, and, and been friends since, uh, since childhood. Uh, not that they're still not children, but you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, but O'Neal is a is a guy. So he's he's Shaquille O'Neal's son, uh, and by all reports, he's actually still growing. Uh, he's like already six nine, six ten. Um, and the thing that I I kind of mentioned this on Twitter. I'm I'm intrigued by his combination of size and skill. I think he's a guy who's still kind of developing. Uh, and if you're looking at a a potential sort of sit out transfer guy that, that might need some time to develop, I think he's he's a really good candidate for that because um, I think when you look at uh, the fact that he also dealt with, I think it was a heart problem. Yeah. He had to have surgery um, for that and had to sit out a year. Yeah. He, he sat out for that, you know, and essentially like that hurt, uh, you know, cause it's prime time where you're kind of developing when you're like 18, 19 years old. Uh, so having to sit out for that. So now you're, he's already kind of, you know, behind from there. I think, uh, you have a guy that could really kind of grow into a high level kind of combo forward, um, you know, and, uh, and even though you've got, you know, Kobe Brown, you've got, uh, you know, Trey Jackson, who <laughs> let's just hope Trey is on board with, uh, with the path to, uh, to developing him that, that Missouri has set out, even if it includes not playing as much as we'd like him to. Um, I think you could still really work with, uh, with, with, Sharif because he also provides more size than those other guys do uh, and and could actually kind of roll in and play the five and if you can roll in and play the five with a guy with skill uh, that can still kind of you know be athletic and finish around the rim I think that that's somebody that you can use yeah I, I think at this point you're, you're just hunting you know like I mentioned earlier um, I think what you're hunting for is skill I think what you're looking for are guys who can be those one, number one and number two guys on the roster. And Yeah, you know, so I, I think both you and I um, have long kind of advocated as uh, as being pro-transfer. I think, you know, the market today is something that if you can pick up uh, a talent, whether it's a guy who, you know, was kind of buried at, a, at another school or, uh, you know, didn't quite have the right fit or, uh, you know, just didn't quite develop the way that, you know, maybe others had to kind of hoped or whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of reason that you can sort of take a guy and, and get him in the right place and, and really, you know, build on the success of a guy, uh, you know, that has the talent level that, that O'Neill does. Um, you know, and you also have guys that will maybe develop a little bit later. Uh, you know, we talked about Eric Williams last year as, as sort of a good example of that, a, you know, a guy that, is now at Oregon, unfortunately. Um, but I, I, I really like, and, and uh, you know, Eric Musselman was kind of talking about sort of his approach to having all these transfers. Um, you know, and he takes it, I think, way further than than I, I think is necessary. Uh, having, 
you know, like four guys sitting out, um, you know, guys that you can't use. And to me, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I think two is a good number. Uh, I still want to have like 10 or 11 guys that I can use. Because uh, I think we what we saw is we saw, you know, Konzo's first year is once those injuries uh, started kind of coming down and you start getting, you know, into like eight, nine, when you got guys sitting out and guys aren't, you know, using up scholarships, you're dipping down into some walk-ons that just aren't quite ready uh, to contribute the way that you need. Uh, and then you just get run out of the gym against Florida State in the NCAA tournament because you're, you know, you're playing like, like Brett Rao, significant minutes. Um and you don't want to get caught in that situation. And really, like like Arkansas right now is is an injury or two away from kind of being in that situation. Um, but I still like the idea that you have at least one, and probably ideally you have two guys who are who are sitting out and transferring and coming in. Um, and then maybe you have like a graduate transfer that you take every year. Uh, and like, you just sort of have this pattern of how you build your roster and, and me, all the, meanwhile, you're like developing your, your freshmen and sophomores, um, you know, into guys that can be counted on to contribute. Uh, and it certainly looks to me like Missouri, they can use, uh, a, a, you know, a transfer like that. But I also think that, uh, you know, if, if it's not somebody like O'Neill, maybe it's they, somebody they're going to wait until, um, you know, after the season to kind of look, but I still think that the transfer market is where you can kind of really, really build up the uh, developmental portion of your roster and, and kind of get guys that can you know help you longer term without really having any of the turmoil of, of having a guy sitting there saying, well, why am I not playing? And then him looking to transfer. Yeah, and I think the one thing that, you know, I can understand why Missouri may have avoided the transfer market, aside from maybe taking a look at Eric Williams last year, where there was a prior relationship in place with Cornell Mann, was just, I think, you know, they the theory was, you know, we're building out our core. You know, we've gone out, we've identified guys that are you know, younger players that we want to kind of, you know, grow and develop and have them mature into, you know, a veteran team and, you know, kind of have that cohesiveness and kind of familiarity with our system and, and all the things that come with that, which I think is good. You know, I, I think, you know, early on in the, you know, program building phase, it's good to ha- bring in guys who fit what your system is and, you know, who are bought in and, you know, committed to, you know, growing with you over a couple of years. But I think Missouri's at the point now where, you know, they can go look for that one or two players. Like you're saying, the one can be a sit out, you know, maybe you do that. You know, if if you feel comfortable about you know a succession plan, you know going forward, or if you feel like you have a more acute need, um, which you know if you feel like that's, you know, for example, if you know if Jeremiah Tillman were to go pro, now you have an acute kind of need on the po- you know, do you want to go get some more depth there, or how do you want to handle it? But I think as long as you're comfortable with one or two spots that can be you know used in that way, I, I think it's fine. I don't think you're putting your, your program's chemistry or sort of your your core building at Jeopardy there. I think what you're really just doing is sort of asking yourself, where can we come in and shore some things up? Um, it'll And I really think it's interesting that you see, you know, we're even seeing players kind of adapt to this now. You know, there are Ivy League players, you know, who, uh, based on, I think, Ivy League rules, 
don't play much their freshman year, they kind of get into grad transfer situations where they can't play more than four years. You know, they're declaring, you know, I'm at a grad transfer. You know, they say that around midseason, and then they go out in the spring. And so we're seeing kind of the transfer market evolve to where you can have a pretty good idea about what options are available to you by about mid-January. And, you know, Sharif O'Neill now comes into the market you know, I think it starts to let Missouri have some time to do some vetting and figure out what they That's want right, to yeah, do. That's so right, yeah, you're, I, I you're a big fan of, uh, you know, the uh, transfer Seth mark- Towns also as somebody who will be a grad mm-hmm. transfer, yeah. but doesn't he have two years to play? Yeah. I think he's got two years because he, he had a knee injury. Yeah, so, he's had a so couple he'll grad transfer injuries, and have a, two to play. But he's a – yep, yep, and he's out of Harvard. He was a leading scorer there. I think he was – an all Ivy player, so smart guy, has a couple of years, I think can supply Missouri maybe with some shooting if you feel like you want to have that. But uh, I think he's a little bit of a bigger wing too. Um, there are two twins out of Maryland in the post. Uh, Makai Mitchell's one of them, but I think I've read somewhere that he might stick around the DMV, which is where they're from. They're out of Virginia, so Maryland and Virginia area. So uh, those are two that I've kind of kept an eye on. One, uh, Makai Mitchell's a big that we've kind of talked about a little bit uh, in relation to Sharif O'Neal is a guy who's kind of big but skilled. Mitchell's kind of one of those guys. He can play on the block, but he's also got the ability to kind of handle the ball out to about 15 feet, can face up a little bit. So that's another kind of guy that I was sort of keeping tabs on and what he did in the transfer market. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the guys are there, and I, I really think that um, – you know, like, let's let's say that you know Jeremiah Tillman comes back. They close the the season strong. Maybe kind of start to look like the team. I think we all sort of were hoping to see. You still need to fill those holes. Like you you still need uh, a, a wing who can score. You still need to develop some of the guys in the roster um, a little better. And and I like I really think like just a scoring guard. If you can find. Whether it's Josh Christopher, hey, that's that's great. I mean, I'm, I don't think you're ever going to turn him down, but uh, Donovan Williams is a guy who I think we both like. But whatever they do, you have to find somebody you can count on to score from the wing. Um, you know, they had really great success with, with Cassius Robertson in year one. Um, I You know, I, th- I think it would be kind of important to see if they can unearth uh, another guy like that. Um, and actually, in my own Twitter sleuthing, I, I did notice uh, that uh, uh, there's a guard named Marcus Burke who plays for IUPUI who shoots the ball pretty well from three-point range. Um, IUPUI is is bad. Um, they're not very good. He transferred uh, from Campbell uh, after a couple years there, and uh, I think he's originally from Indianapolis. So maybe... Um, Maybe a guy that could kind of be there um, as a grad transfer, but I think whatever they're gonna do, that like you're gonna have to infuse something into this roster, kind of give it a little bit more of a spark. Um, I think Drew Smith has been everything you could ask, but he needs a little help. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty. There's some time. There's some options out there, um, and I think they can really, you know, take their time and assess their needs and have a good plan. You know, I think that's the, you know, I, I if you're going to try and make a play for, you know, Donovan Williams, I think you need to try and get in the mix now and try and establish that relationship. But 
they've clearly put in the groundwork with Josh Christopher and, you know, they have time to kind of reach out and vet, you know, any transfer options they want. So I, I don't think they're, you know, in a precarious position. I think it'll just be interesting to see where they, where they decide to go or what, in what course they decide to take. So outside of that, um, uh, big sigh. Missouri sunk to 85th currently in Ken Pomeroy. Um, I don't know if that is going to improve a whole lot. They need to keep the game within 14 points um, against Virginia to improve upon that. If, if you're looking for a silver lining here, guys, uh, West Virginia's three losses came to number one Kansas, in, number one uh, in Ken Palm, Kansas, there are other two losses to uh, 80th-rated St. John's and 91st-rated Kansas State. Uh, however, both those games were on the road. In fact, all three of their losses were on the road. Um, so, you know, maybe if Missouri got them at home, it might be a little better. Uh, and the game against St. John's was a, a close one, but Kansas State kind of put it on them. They beat it by 16, so... I don't know. Maybe maybe West Virginia just has something about uh, teams rated between 80 and 91 in Kempom, and they just cannot beat those teams. Uh, because I'm looking... Uh, oh, no, they do have one other game. They beat uh, Oklahoma State, who <laughs> was 81st. Well, okay. So, you know, the, they have a, a 33... Uh, win percentage against uh teams in that in that range Is, yeah. was that a stretch I mean, that was a bit of a stretch <laughs> yeah yeah that's a bit of a a bit of a stretch i'm trying um, to find silver linings here matt work work with me i i would just like to be clear-eyed about what could transpire in morgantown that way i don't get upset that way i don't you know become indignant you know, this is this is just a matchup that does not uh, break right. I think for Missouri, uh, it's just there's the whether it's tempo, whether it's the fact that there's some guards that can apply good on ball pressure and feel fine doing that because there's two really good big men waiting on the back line. You know, West Virginia doesn't need to really be efficient in the half court offense because they can just send four six foot seven or taller dudes to the glass. You know, it's just, it's it's just not a good matchup. But they're, I mean, they're a, the they're side, a tough matchup for a, a lot of teams. I mean, there's a reason they're never teams, but, they're but six uh, in Kempom. I mean, they, well, that's all, yes. But I'm <laughs> saying Missouri. If if we're debating whether or not there's an opportunity for an upset here, I'm saying contextually, Missouri doesn't fit the profile. I think of a team that pulls this. What, West Virginia is is third in def- def- uh, defensive efficiency. Um, First in effective field goal. Percentage defense, second in three-point defense, fifteenth in two-point defense, forty-third uh, in turnover rate. So, so they're they're applying pressure on the ball, forcing guys, you know, to basically drive the ball into Derek Culver and Oscar. Who Chibwe, send it back? Who are just monstrous men? I think. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, Missouri's going to have to have an outlier game, I think, uh, to to be in it. Uh, otherwise, m- maybe they're able to sort of 
answer something defensively that we haven't quite seen. Uh, you know, because they, they really have been struggling defensively since Jeremiah Tillman has been out. Um, it would be nice to see them try to find a way to kind of clean that up uh, and and get back on the right side. But uh, I I certainly think what you're doing is you're looking at. Um, you're looking ahead to Georgia next week. Is, is yeah, Ge- Georgia, South Carolina, uh, and then another game against Texas A&M. And I, I think those are three winnable games. And I think what you're doing is you're kind of hoping then uh, for the home games that uh, February 8th against Arkansas as you get uh, Jeremiah Tillman back. And that is, oddly enough, a rally for Ryan game. So uh, Missouri is currently undefeated in rally for Ryan games. So uh, this is... Me knocking on wood, because um, I would like to keep that streak going because I like beating Arkansas. Uh, and it's also like one of the great uh, events that Missouri does. They they should they should win that game. Yeah, the Georgia game was is one that I think I told you before we came on, it's that's a game where if Missouri can get the pace where it wants it, I I think that's a winnable game for them. Because Anthony Edwards is a monster, and he's terrifying in the open court, and he eats people alive in transition, but he is rather pedestrian when he has to operate against a set defense. And Missouri's going to sit down in gaps, and they're going to make him drive into a bunch of bodies. He might try to jump over everybody, and he might clear a few of them, but it's... Georgia is a team that wants to play fast. They want to get their guys out and fill lanes and push. And Missouri, I think, against the type of team that Georgia is, can do a, a good enough job getting that pace where they want it. And if they can make Georgia have to run half-court offense with a bunch of young guys on the floor around Rayshon Hammonds, I think they can give themselves a shot to get a win there. Um, Georgia's okay defensively. Um, they're not great. So that's a game where I think they can get right. Um, South Carolina, that's going to be a murder ball game. Uh, two coaches that just will grind the other one into paste. And then I think they can get, you know, maybe they get Tillman back early and they can feed him some minutes to just get his sea legs back against A&M. Um, and, you know, if you can reel off three in a row there, suddenly you're four and five and you have Arkansas coming into town. Maybe you can see a way to to get back to back to level. So that's that's the optimist case right now. All right. Um, so before we get out of here, I just want to. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that only tune into our podcast because they want to know my food opinions. Just give them. And the as Instagram I mentioned handle. last week, just give them the Instagram handle. Last last week I mentioned I was uh, you know the last of my wife's birthday celebration we were doing a the omakase dinner uh, at Indo in St Louis um, I cannot recommend this hi- uh, highly enough it is uh, a whole lot of sushi like stuff so it's it's mostly nigiri it's all really interesting um, fish and all that kind of stuff that. Uh, he does an amazing, amazing job. Uh, Chef Nick Bognar as the guy. So it is expensive, um, but if you're looking for a special occasion uh, for for you or 
your significant other and they really enjoy sushi, it is a, a really nice experience. So, uh, yeah, if you don't follow me on Instagram, uh, you can. Uh, I'm just Trent714. And what's funny is if you, uh, it's a private account, you have to request to follow it. Um, but don't expect like any Mizzou content because <laughs> it is strictly dogs, cocktails, and food. So um, it is, yeah, the things that I'm privately passionate about, uh, not hoops related. Only thing I'll say is uh, get $25 and, and go buy a bottle of uh, Old Overholt Bonded and Bond. It's a good bourbon. It's affordable. You can drink it straight. You can put it in know whatever whiskey or bourbon drink you want uh good mid-shelf stuff do that i recommend having a bottle by your side on saturday and maybe it'll make your coping a lot easier for two hours (laughs) oh it's so fun it's so fun right now uh matt because the the hope abounds with missouri right if i'm clear-eyed i can't be mad it's it's a hopeful it's a hopeful bunch um no I, like i think it's kind of funny because like I, I don't know when it was exactly but a while back i just decided like i'm not going to get as emotionally invested in sports um i still really want like mizzou to be good at sports like it's it's something that i want them to be good at it makes my life easier it makes it more fun to watch um but now that like 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 this is part of what we do, um, I just I don't get bothered when they lose. I I just try to keep my job to be the same. Um, I still want them to get better, and I am going to continue to write about ways that they should uh, try to get better. Um, but I don't know. Like, have a drink, relax. It's all gonna be fine. <laughs> if if you're if you're having a hard time as as a Missouri fan, hopefully you're a Chiefs fan. You get to enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, hopefully, if you're on the other side of the state, you're a big hockey fan. You can watch your Stanley Cup champion Blues. Um, there's lots of things in in the sports realm that you can enjoy. Um, just when you tune in to watch Mizzou, just know that at some point. It will it will get better, <laughs> and this is not near as bad as when Kim Anderson was coaching. Let's just remember that. Like Mizzou is having a, a an awful season, and uh, they're still eighty spots ahead of of a Kim Anderson coach team. So I don't know. Take some solace in that, I guess. They're gonna beat ten, They're gonna beat Kim's best win total again. Yeah, just they're they're one win away, and it's gonna happen. Um, one of these games, I promise. So, um, all right, so we're out of here. Uh, back next week with more uh, dive cuts. If you have anything that you want us to kind of talk about and, and hash out, you can just tweet at me, at Matt. Uh, we're both on Twitter, Sam T. Snelling, Matt, uh, J. Harris85, uh, right? I don't always get that messed up now. Um, as always, uh, tweet any anger and. Uh, and all the all the bad stuff at Mitch he can take it uh and we'll talk to you next week so until then thanks for tuning in